So we do have a formal way to get rid of people. And again, I, you know, whatever. I'm, I hope everyone knows I am, like, joking about it because, like, um, but it is interesting to me that we, so the church has these ways to get rid of people. Um, so farewell and Godspeed to members and then excommunication. But other than that, like, we don't have things, okay? There, we don't have any rights for how to get rid of people who lose interest. We don't have, like, we don't have rights to send people to, that have chosen soccer instead. Like, that doesn't exist. And so, like, part of me wonders... Um, you know, and that's what the, you know, every church has all these people sitting around on the rolls who no one has seen in 28 years and you don't really know what to do with them and they're clearly not interested anymore. Um, I mean, it's kind of a nice thing that we do. We actually like formalize all this stuff, you know? So people come to, people are coming into your church and you don't get to just be anonymous. Anything anonymous that you do in church is probably going to be bad, Right? Um, I mean, even even the anonymous ballots that we have, I don't like it. I don't like voting on things in church. I've told you before about the Quaker method of doing this, the consensus thing, where you just sit and wait until everyone agrees. And if one person doesn't agree, uh, then, like, they can hamstring the whole process, you know. And the question then is really like, well, how strongly do I actually disagree with this? Is it enough to hamstring the whole process, you know? So, um, yeah, when you vote on things too, the temptation then is just to worry about if you're going to have the two-thirds vote or the simple majority or whatever, rather than, like, I mean, I don't care if... It, well, it seems like it would be a bad thing to hurt or alienate one-third of the congregation because the other two-thirds thought that we should have the, the uh, fuchsia-upholstered pews, you know, or whatever it is. So, Well, the big debate used to be over Hydrox versus Oreos. Congregation split over Hydrox versus Oreos. Ah! Oh, yes. And, um, and, yeah, Oreos did win because Hydrox actually went out of business. But the great shame is that Hydrox was the original uh, cookie. I bet you didn't know that. I bet you may, might consider your devotion to Oreos now. I don't like any of them. I think they're dry. Uh, yeah, I, I don't find any pleasure in eating Oreos or Hydrox. I'll turn it down unless it's like the only thing around. So just so you know, uh, Christmas, don't give me a bunch of Oreos. I, w- I probably will eat them eventually, but I don't want them. And not because like I'll eat too many of them. So, But yeah, we don't have like a way to just get rid of people who are 
laxed or lapsed or whatever, you know? Well, that's the thing. Like, that, that's not a thing. They can't get rid of themselves. We have to let you go. Or we have to excommunicate you. So you're either going somewhere else or you're going nowhere. Um, so, yeah. So we don't purge the I'm all in favor of purging the roles. I just don't know exactly what that means for the people, you know? About every 10 years, at first, or they may still do it, they used to. Um, they would purge the roles, and the board of deacons would take each of the names and try to find the people as a last contact to see whether they want to be purged, whether they want to go to purgatory. Would you like to be purged? Uh, okay, well. Hmm. Who's asking? Yes. Yeah, and so, like, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an organizational thing, you know. So, in effect, these people have excluded themselves from the church, right? And we have that in our bylaws, something about self-exclusion, right? Basically, if you don't show up ever, then you've self-excluded yourself as a member, and eventually we'll just like take you out the rolls. Um, but again, I'm not really all that concerned about where your name is in some book. Um, so, but uh, so farewell and Godspeed to members is actually a wonderful thing when we do this, right? I mean, the, the stinkiest thing that could happen is if you have some. A bunch of people come to church here and they're like, you know, super devoted and they just disappear and you can't find them ever. And then like you try and call them and they don't answer your phone calls. And then you're like, well, hey, what happened? And and then you never hear from them ever again. Like that happens. You're like, what? Uh, what? What's going on? You're like, oh, well. Don't know. We'll never know. Um. So this is like a fantastic thing. Farewell and Godspeed to members. Godspeed. Isn't that like awesome? I feel like there used to be people named Goodspeed around. And I feel like that was like a cool old timey version of this. Um, but all right. So we do this uh, right before the end of the service. And we know that they're moving and transferring to another congregation. And this is something that... Well, this is ancient. So this goes back to the very earliest days of the church, that when someone was moving from one place to another, which people did not do very often, uh, we move all the time now. But when the church starts, I mean, look at Jesus' ministry, his whole entire life, aside from one small vacation to Egypt, uh, he doesn't go that far, you know? It's all in a very small um, geographical uh, zone. So people aren't really moving all that often. But in the early church, they, you'd get a letter from your bishop um, sending you to another bishop. And, and, and you think about this, it's like, so when someone shows up here and they say, well, I was a member at Trinity Lutheran Church in Hell, Michigan, or whatever, and then 
I don't know. I don't know what they were like there. Are we getting someone who, like, split the congregation over the Hydrox cookies and then, like, uh, huh? Yeah, are we getting troublemakers from other churches or what? Like, what's the, what's the story here? So you don't really know sometimes. And so that's why we get a letter from their pastor uh, saying, well, this is a member in good standing. Now, the problem is, like, pretty much everyone is a member in good standing. And if you're asking for a letter of transfer, you're probably not the troublemaker. You know, you're probably not the person that hasn't been there in a thousand years. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a good thing. And so basically what we're doing, we're sending your papers on to the next guy. And the paperwork is important, you know, because like the next people, they should know who you are. They should, they should know. So, um, and again, this is almost like in holy baptism when you have the godparents there, the sponsors, um, basically vouching for this person that they're not a government spy who's going to send your church into a spiral of persecution. Um, so yeah, we, we always ask for basically references almost. Uh, so we, but we send you along with the papers to another congregation. Uh, two, yeah, this comes immediately before the benediction divine service or daily office. In private conversation, the pastor will assist those who are departing and finding a Lutheran congregation in their new location. I think that's kind of a fun one. In private conversation. So they're specifically saying that like this person is not standing everyone up in front of the church and telling them, well, you're moving to Tuscaloosa. I know a good guy there. But when you do move to another place, it is like you should ask your pastor, like, where do you know any churches there? So the last people that we kicked out of here, they were like, where do we go? And I still have people, former members, because uh, we have a lot of former members because people move here, you know. Um, I still have people call me up years after they've left and be like, hey, we're moving again. Do you know anyone here or there? We're moving to this town. And, 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 it, and it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. So... The departing members gather at the chancel steps or before the altar as local custom dictates. So all these things, they all take place before the chancel steps. When you think about um, pastoral care, when you think about how the pastor takes care of the congregation, um, like this is it, all right? This is the normal place of pastoral care before the chancel steps, right here. It's all right here. In the, in the pulpit, in the font, in the altar, this is where the pastor exercises pastoral care for the vast majority of his congregants. Um, again, it is 100% fine and awesome for you to call me and ask for a visit. And I'll do it. And it's great. I love it. It's like, or else I will find other things to do and they will be way less productive and they will make me feel terrible about my life and everything, you know. Um, but, I mean, you go visit someone, and it just, it always ends up wonderfully. Yeah. You know? oh, this is great. What are we doing here? We're just like, we're just talking about the Word of God, receiving the sacrament. This is great. Um, but it, 
here's the thing it's like it takes a long time it takes a long time and again it's totally acceptable and awesome for you to ask me to come by uh but it takes a long time so but here i can care for we can have up to like 120 people right now just so you know according to the new rules so let's go for it we can get a we get 120 people in here because our our uh, fire code says we can only have 240 so and we can go up to 50 percent now with the new rules so let's go for it we're uh, a little bit so if people are afraid there's not going to be room for them here uh the acting mayor says you can come. So, you know, let's go for it. So, um, beloved in the Lord, in holy baptism, you became members of the Holy Christian Church, and our Lord's word and sacraments have nursed you in this congregation for however many years. As we bid you farewell and Godspeed, hear the words of the Apostle Paul. So, how did they become, what does this start off with? In holy baptism, you become a member of this right so we didn't even say i love how this like deals with it you became a member of the holy christian church in holy baptism and in that church the lord has nurtured you through word and sacrament in this very place so it's situating our congregation in the larger communion of saints in the larger church catholic uh we are an outpost of that. So uh, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So isn't that wonderful? Like Paul loves, Paul seems like harsh a lot of the times, but he really does love these people. And why does he love them? Well, he loves them in Christ. Um, it, he loves them in a different way than you love your friends who are also into Dungeons and Dragons and Star Trek. Well, for many of them, he was their Christian father. Yeah. Yeah, Paul goes to these places and he is the... He starts them, basically. Well, most of the time he goes to places and he finds them, yeah. right? And then kind of orders what's there. Um, it's interesting. Well, he finds the Jewish group. Yeah. I think that that's a better way to look at evangelism, finding people, finding the elect, rather than thinking you're going out and... Convert, yeah, converting a bunch of people. You just you find the people. You just find them. They're there. They are there. A lot of the places in Paul's letters that people carry on about, it, it's like a, a father who really cared for his children is talking to them that way. I mean, my dad left a load on me a couple of times in my life because he loved me. Right. Yeah, that it's. He is their their father in the faith. So, also, and, and the thing about Paul too is that he's not uh, Paul's not a parish pastor. He's a missionary. Um, 
so he goes from one place to the next and yeah he he is he's a he is a missionary he's not a he's not a parish pastor but his goal is to like actually set up pastors in all those places though he never just leaves them on their own it's like Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, right. They don't Yeah. Sometimes they don't it seems like maybe they don't know what to do. Exactly. And this is also how the reformation spread too. And and it's not the same thing of course, but you got these like Catholics in uh uh the Netherlands who are like um or Denmark. What do we do? Can you send us someone to like help us out here? And so they do. Um yeah. So then uh, we pray. Let us pray, O Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you have so faithfully nourished. What does nourish mean? Huh? Fed. Fed. So there's like one time when we use the word nourished. I only ever hear people say this in like meal prayers. To the nourishment of our bodies. And someone must have been the first person to say this. Because it's like all over the place. Like, where else do you say nourishment of our bodies? Like, ah, ah, ah. It's, prayer language is often this, like, we feel like we have to make it a fancy language or something. Um, but. Well, nourish has the connotation that what you're eating is good for you, it's healthy. Yeah. Rather than just eat, I mean, you can feed yourself on a bag of Cheetos, but it's not nourishing. Is that true? Cheetos are not nourishing? I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break it. That's my addiction, so I can use that example. Good. Uh, okay. Uh, now I confess. <laughs> what about uh, Doritos? Are those nourishing? But you don't want to say there's a different connotation to the word nourish. Yeah, it's not, it's not even just a bare feeding, is it? Yeah. It's good food. Yeah. yeah. So you've nourished our brothers and sisters in the communion of this congregation. Bless, protect, and defend them as they now depart from us. Preserve them in the confession of your name and loving service to others. Keep us in fellowship with all your saints and bring us at last to the joys of your heavenly kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord, etc. Um, so yeah, it's, this is a great thing. And, and it can be a very painful thing when people leave too. You know? It's always, I think, I think I almost cry every time. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I don't actually shed tears during these things, but but uh, it is always very touching because you spend a lot of time with these people, and and again, it's my interests, my connection with you is way deeper than I'm the dungeon master and you have the twelve sided die. You know, it's it's way deeper than that. This is like real life and death stuff. Um, this is the front lines of the battle, and you're going to a different, different uh, field, and so it is a very. Um, I always find it very emotional. Um, except for some people take forever to leave, and you've been like anticipating their departure for like, like oh, finally they're gone. <laughs> but. Uh, no. Uh, no, but um, yeah, it's. So we. No one here. 
Yeah. All right, so any, any questions on farewell and Godspeed? Oh, wait, so then it ends with go in peace and joy. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And we mean that. There can be a lot of, like, guilt for people when they move, you know? We're not a big congregation, and so when people move, it's like our attendance drops by 900%, and everyone's like, what, what happened? Where is everyone? Um, I think that, like, our... Since I got here, I think that like three quarters of the people here are new. But this is not the same church that I got, that I was installed at in 2015. There's a fair amount of the people who have been here for this whole time, but there's lots and lots of new people and, and also lots and lots of people that have, have left, uh, mostly for good reasons. So... But again, you see what I mean? It's like we don't have this thing for like, oh, you got mad at the pastor. We're going to let you out. So, uh, excommunication. This is like, again, terrible. You have this one, Sue? Uh, Wide margins if you want to write lots and lots of notes. So I... Apologize for this. Apparently, all the text is on it, though, still. So, um, sorry about that. Uh, excommunication. What do you want to know? First off, you seem surprised that we actually have this written down. See, that's the thing. Does it ever actually get used? I've never seen it used. I've never heard of it being used. The more I look at this stuff, I think that we should use it. Um, I think that we should. So, because how often do we let people just slip away into a sinful rejection of the church and the gospel? Like, we should call them to repentance. And actually um, hold them to their baptism, um, to the vows that they may or may not have made in their confirmation. Um, And if the answer is, well, I just don't do that anymore, well, then you have, in effect, excommunicated yourself, okay? And when you want to come back here, which you can come back, you can always come back. Like, you need to repent. Um, Is skipping church for five years a sin? Yes, it is. It's bad. That's bad for you. It's really bad for you. What is a sin against? Which commandment? So, the first commandment, clearly, right? Uh, it, it, it's a violation of, of the Sabbath, right? In the Catechism, we learn that the Sabbath is not about a day. It's about uh, hear, gladly hearing and learning the Word of God. And So, yeah, I mean, if you haven't, like, been here five years, and been like, well, yeah. Uh, we gotta, like, we gotta talk about this. So here's the problem is that um, 
we think that you, we feel like, and I guarantee you we don't use this very much because it was probably misused in a lot of ways. Oh, by the way, here, yeah. Um, awesome list here. People who have been excommunicated um, by the Catholic Church. This is just on Wikipedia. But, uh, so, no. The first person that it has listed is Simon Magus. You remember who he is. He's in the book of Acts. He's trying to actually buy the office, right? He's trying to buy the Holy Spirit. And then he wants to sell it. Okay? So we actually have a, a, a sin for, named after this guy, Simony, the buying and selling of, of church offices, of being a pastor. Like, now you have to, like, well, yeah, you do have to, like, pay a lot to get into the business still today. Uh, which I was wondering, like, okay. Um, yeah, I was just like, yeah, I was just like looking at the uh, student debt that I have remaining still. It, it's higher than I remembered. And uh, you're like, oh, okay, well. I mean, you're, you're looking at about 100 grand to get into the business, you know? I, I don't know. It, um, <laughs> and I think it like paid off really well. Uh, at different times in history, you know. Um, oh yeah, so simony was a huge problem in the Reformation. Nowadays, um, I don't know, probably not. Um, but I mean, it was a huge thing in the Reformation because you had all these bishops buying dioceses. Um, it's a cool word, but the plural of it is so clumsy. So it's a good thing we just have districts, I think. You know? Same thing, though. Um, and the, So also we have listed uh, the guy in Corinth who had uh, married a woman who had been his father's wife. Okay. Uh, and then also Hymnaeus and Alexander, which are in 1 Timothy. So then we go on 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century... You excommunicate a bunch of heretics, basically. So you know some of these guys, like Arius, uh, who is insisting that Jesus is just a man who then became God. Um, so yeah, you have all these different uh, heretics who are actually excommunicated from the church. And we should define that too. So when you excommunicate, you are no longer able to receive communion in church. Okay? You don't have the rights and privileges of being in the church. You are outside of salvation. That is what we are saying when we excommunicate someone. So we excommunicate all these heretics. But then, oh, and here's a big one. Uh, Emperor Theodosius uh, was excommunicated by Ambrose of Milan after he um, massacred a bunch of people in Thessalonica. It was this kind of senseless massacre, and uh, Ambrose actually excommunicated the guy. He comes to, he tries to come to church, and Ambrose wouldn't even let him in the door. The, you need to repent. It's awesome. There's all these uh, cool uh, paintings of it, of uh, Ambrose and Milan at the 
at the door with his staff, and he's just like, no. And it was probably less dramatic than that. But, um, he, yeah, he was dramatic. That's how he got elected, I guess. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. This, this priest stood up to the most powerful man in the world. No. You, you have sinned. And he does repent. And, and, um, and Ambrose restores him. So we've got a couple other heretics in here. And then in the 6th century, St. Columba is excommunicated. He's a... Uh, St. Columba, interesting guy, uh, his biography is the first time we hear about the Loch Ness Monster, by the way. So he's uh, basically an apostle to Scotland, which was just basically barbarians at the time. Different tribes of barbarians, but barbarians nonetheless. Uh, yeah, like this town is getting plagued by a Loch Ness Monster and, and uh, Columba drives it away. But he was excommunicated for uh, praying for the wrong side of a war. All right. So there you can see. All right. Can we, can we, ex, should we excommunicate heretics? Yes. They are believing and teaching things that will send people to hell. Yes, we should excommunicate them. Because we want them to repent. But. <laughs> for praying for the wrong if you're on the wrong side of a war, it probably doesn't cut it. So what we see is that uh, as, as the church starts to take on all this political power, excommunication becomes a political thing. Okay? And things start getting a little crazy. And again, and again, this is this is eventually why you have to have the Reformation, because from about the sixth century, it, it it takes about a thousand years for it to get to the point where it just boils over, but there is all this bad stuff that keeps growing and growing. Um, let's see. Uh, they start they start excommunicating uh, various kings who are trying to ordain their own bishops. That happens a lot, too. Uh, so Rome says, well, no, we're the ones who choose those guys. But then the king of France says, well, but I want to make the bishops. And so they, convenient, you just excommunicate them. Um, so you, well, you're outside of the church. And if you're outside of the church in those days, then you're outside of most of society. So um, this is rough. There's a lot more kings and uh, uh, politicians basically that get excommunicated um, the in, in the, the 14th century when there's three popes they all excommunicate each other it, it, and so it starts like getting kind of silly now the list of things that you can be excommunicated for in the Catholic Church is also pretty awesome um, you can get excommunicated for uh, violence against the Pope or really any clergy. Uh, there's different levels of it. But um, so that dude that, that shot Pope John Paul II, that's an instant excommunication. Um, but I know that Pope John Paul did go visit him in prison and did forgive him. I don't know if that's the same thing as being brought back into it. Um, but they start 
they start excommunicating people. Um, you know, like John Wycliffe, who is the the first translator of the Holy Scriptures into English. Like this is not good, right? And then, um, let's see. Oh, Joan of Arc, the Savonarola. Um, you you might not know who Giovanni uh, Savonarola is. Um, he was. He was a, a Dominican friar in Florence in uh, the 15th century. So this is slightly before Luther, but he is on a crusade against um, corruption in the church. And he has these things called the bonfire of the vanities, where I think it was on like Sunday afternoons or something out in the town square in Florence. I mean, like, Bring out all your fancy stuff and we're going to burn it. We're going to burn it. Uh, that's where that phrase comes from, bonfire of the vanities. And then, uh, and so today when you go to Florence, you can go stand in front of the town hall and see the place on the ground where Savonarola himself was burned at the stake. So he was excommunicated. Again, really, um, he's one of these proto-Reformation people where you read him and you're like, Oh, that sounds familiar. I like that. Like John Huss. Also excommunicated and burned at the stake. For what? Well, essentially preaching justification by grace through faith alone. All right. So what, what the church is realizing is that all these people are chipping away at our power. All right? Uh, so we, we're just going to excommunicate them. All right, so then 16th century is where stuff gets really crazy. So Martin Luther, of course, is excommunicated in uh, 1521 by Pope Leo. And now here's the deal. Like, when you get excommunicated, what should your first thought be? I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I am unrepentant so they they uh luther's excommunication did not come out of the blue either he knew what he was doing and he knew that the excommunication was not valid okay he says i'm not actually doing anything wrong um and so you have to have like clear scriptural grounds for what you're doing here. Uh, Henry VIII is also excommunicated. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, so um, Henry VIII is excommunicated in 1533. Um, yeah, and that's that one probably did like have some grounds, right? Luther comes along and is preaching a the true, the true doctrine, okay? Henry VIII comes around and is doing all these things for power. Um, he really is a bad king. It's amazing that he is so well-known and almost loved, but he was, I mean, he's bad. When you go around the UK and see all these like ruined churches and you're like, I wonder how that happened. Oh, it's actually because the king um, did that. And he like 
stole all their stuff and then burned them and got rid of the 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 clergy like oh uh yes he should have been excommunicated so you have a strange question then like okay so the church of england was founded upon an excommunication by an insanely immoral human being like what does that do they're like I don't know about that. That seems a little icky to me. So Lutheranism, of course, is founded on this excommunication as well. Which, by the way, again, like we never left. We were kicked out. Um, we'd still be there. Uh, Thomas Cranmer gets excommunicated. Uh, uh, Henry the Fourth of France gets excommunicated. Uh, it, I mean, it's kind of crazy, like. You can kind of tell that, like, the Pope is, like, ah, losing control of things, trying to get it back by excommunicating all these people, all right? So this is an abuse of excommunication. We want to excommunicate heretics, open, unrepentant sinners, people who just won't repent, right? Henry VIII, yeah, like, I mean, that guy's, like, um... I can't get divorced. What if she just doesn't have a head anymore? How about that? There you go. Let's like. <laughs> so I, you know, it's it's. Um, I don't know. I'd like to hear. I guess I should like talk to some real Anglicans to hear what they actually think about that sort of stuff. How do you reconcile? the origins of your confession and tradition in this monstrous person. Um, Napoleon gets excommunicated. Seems about right. Um, and eventually you can kind of see they start losing their authority and hold back from excommunicating um, these like big national figures and everything. So, although... Every once in a while, they'll, they'll do fun things like excommunicate the whole entire Polish national church. Um, in, in the Midwest, if you go to a Catholic church, there's like in their communion statements, whatever, they're like, uh, I always thought this was like funny because I didn't know what it was. But it was like, uh, members of the Polish national Catholic church are not allowed to take communion here. And I'm like, okay, what happened there? Um, but yeah, every once in a while, these things happen. And I would, I would think it would be a big deal if they would actually come out. I know that they have withheld communion from a lot of politicians. It would be interesting if they came out and actually excommunicated them. Like, that might actually do something. But then they'd just go to the Episcopal Church anyways, because it basically looks the same and, you know, probably is what these people believe anyways. Uh, Well, they might excommunicate you for not being tolerant enough or something now. I don't know. But, um, so, yeah, what do we, what do we want to excommunicate people for? Yeah, it's like open, unrepentant sin. And again, like, this is, this is not the first step. This is 
the last resort. You have taken all sorts of care beforehand, okay? So yeah, this is not the first step, but it's there, okay? Um, when Jesus comes to Peter and uh, Peter, feed my lambs. It is a, hey, forgive people's sins. And, and then also, if you bind their sins to them, they're bound to them. Okay? And essentially, that's what this is doing. There are, there are two keys here, right? So we always talk about the office of the keys. Keys, keys, keys. There's the unlocking key, and then there's the binding key. Right? I mean, the vast majority of the time, my job is to, like, you come in here with, like, all these chains and handcuffs, and like, gone, 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 gone. And then you go out leaping like calves from the stalls. You do. I mean, like, that's the goal. Um, we're, oh, you have burdens. Let's take those. Let's, let's just take them. Let's, let's, let's send those out into the desert with a scapegoat. Let's send those to the bottom of the ocean. Um, you can't get them anymore. Your sins aren't yours. You cannot have them. Jesus has them. Um, sometimes when you, when you want to hang on to your sin, then we actually will lock that on to you. Say, fine, deal with it. That's yours. And that's horrifying. Okay? Um, so we're not talking about people that struggle with sin either. You're allowed to struggle with sin. Like, because, yeah. How can you not? Well, it's because you do struggle with sin. And you always will struggle with sin. That's kind of the name of the game of human existence. And it's been our problem for a very, very long time. Every single one of us. Yeah, it's rough. Life is rough. And you got sin coming at you from all sides, crouching at the door, right? So we're not talking about struggling with sin either. So this is ultimately an act of care, but um, yeah, so if your brother sins against you, what do you do? So forgive them seven times 70. So that means you have to like go to them Right? If your brother sins against you, go to them, tell them that they've sinned against you, seek restoration. Yeah, like that's what you're supposed to do. Now, what don't you do? Well, shoot them. Yes, don't do that. <laughs> Very good. So maybe get that out of the way. We'll, like, we'll just say that like, the violence is not acceptable. Very good. So what, do, what you don't do is like go talk about them to other people. Yeah. So even if the gossip is true facts about something someone did to you, what's the problem with telling someone else about what someone else did to you? The problem or one of many? One of the many problems. Spreads and grows, yes, and then, and then people take sides. 
they take sides. And then the person who committed the initial offense can't do anything about it because they don't know. They don't know that they've done anything. Yeah, so it's a game of telephone with like, with this like grotesque spider web of misinformation and putting the worst construction on things. I mean, here's the deal. Like, when someone actually sins against you, don't tell someone else. Why would you do that? They can't do anything about it. Tell that person. Is this hard? Yes. If it's too difficult for you to tell that person, then it's probably not worth telling anyone else. All right? It's probably not that big of a deal. But if someone sins against you, tell them. Tell them. This is just what Jesus says. Um, and then if they don't want to listen to you, then you got to tell someone else. And you bring them along. Be like, hey, I'm not your enemy. We want to restore you. We want to restore this. Uh, we want to restore this relationship that has been damaged by your actions. Um, and then if they won't listen, like tell it to the church. Tell them to the church. And then if they still won't listen. And that's how you get here, okay? So, but yeah, when you start out at step four, then it's really difficult to get any of this back together and to restore anything. Um, here's what you don't want to do in dealing with someone else's sin, is then yourself sin against them. <laughs> don't do that. And so if someone sins against you, and then you just go tell someone else and gossip about them. Well, that's sinning. And then we've like, just, well, now we're all circling the toilet. You know, it's just. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, so that's how the world works, of course. Don't do it. They don't believe in forgiveness. They don't believe in forgiveness. No. Not at all. Uh, so, um, excommunication from the Holy Christian Church. One, excommunication is a solemn declaration spoken by the pastor and best announced in the divine service. Like the spoken word of absolution, excommunication is the voice of God himself that we hear through his called and ordained servant of the word. That it is the voice of God himself. Now what you'll notice here is that this takes place at the very beginning, right before confession and absolution. Uh, and, and the pastor actually says, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. So this, is, this should be horrifying to anyone who hears this. Right? And remember, that's the thing about the pastor's preaching about the absolution about all this stuff I'm not up there telling you cool things that I think or else it would be stupid and you're not interested in the same things I am anyways you know um, this is the voice of God all right this a sermon is the voice of God the absolution is the voice of God and again not because I am anything uh, special, but because that's how God actually speaks to us. So when, when Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, and he says, 
yeah, receive the, receive the Spirit. And then he's like, if anyone hears you, they hear me. And if anyone rejects you, they reject me. At the end of the day, the pastor should be able to go home, kick up his feet and say, all I've done is what the Lord has given me to do. They're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the Lord. Or they're not loving me. They're loving the Lord. Awesome. This is great. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's wonderful. So, and, and then the goal for the pastor, too, and it's a very difficult thing, of course, because we're humans and humans are weird, but the goal for the pastor is that everything that he says is indeed actually something he can say, this is the word of the Lord. Not, I think this is the word of the Lord. Or I think this is cool, right? So it's very difficult uh, for the pastor. But that's the thing about this excommunication. Like, there's no feelings in here. It's not, I think this is true. So you got to be, like, certain about this. Certain to the point where you can say, this is what the Lord says about this person. Uh, the rite normally takes place during the divine service, immediately before the service of confession and absolution. Now I love that. What are we saying by where we do this? You're out. Here's Would you like to reconsider? Yeah. It's like immediately giving this. We're not even like, you're on probation. No, no, no. Immediately. saying like, yeah, you... You should stick around. You should stay. So, also, this doesn't indicate whether the person is there or not. Sometimes they might be, and sometimes they might not be. But, um, yeah. So, notice what we don't have, too. Well, okay. The pastor stands at the place where he normally pronounces the absolution. That's important, too, right? So, we're always ready to absolve. Um, <laughs> now, what we're missing here is like point four. Everyone in the church has also brought pitchforks and torches in order to, uh, like, yeah, tarred feather this human being. Like, there's nothing like that. Like, leave, leave your clubs at home. We don't have a gauntlet for the person to run on the way out. Like, that's not the goal. This is not, this is not a punishment thing. Right? This is actually meant to bring about restoration and to, to restore someone that you love. Okay? So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's weighty. So, let's see. Beloved in the Lord, Christ our Lord says in the gospel according to St. John, If you receive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's called an ordained servant of the word. Again, not on my own authority. I would not dare to do any of this on my own authority. You know, it's interesting. Every single pastoral act I make, I actually, I actually do justify it before the Lord. <laughs> um, I, I actually do. Like, like, well, I think, how am I going to explain this on the last day? And if I can't, then I shouldn't do it. So, um, I must make known to you that our fellow member, whoever, uh, has by continued impenitence despised his or her baptism. What's the big problem? 
They've despised their baptism. They despise the gifts that the Lord has given. They no longer give thanks for the, what the Lord has given. They've forgotten who they are. They've given up their birthright. Um, in in uh, individual confession and absolution too, that's, uh, that's part of the confession as well. He was under church discipline. Now, church discipline. Uh, run up against the clock here, of course. But um, so there's there's two things going on here. So, and we talk about this in the small called articles. Um, there's something called the major ban, and then the, the minor ban. So the minor ban is, um, okay, you should not be receiving the Lord's supper right now. Um, Let's work on this, all right? Um, minor ban. And you don't really tell anyone about this, right? This is the pastor goes to this person and says, you should not come to the Lord's Supper. You are living with your uh, brother's wife, whatever. I don't know. Um, but then the major ban is what we're talking about here, the greater ban. Um, but yeah, church discipline is basically, you should not come to the Lord's Supper. Minor ban. Um, minor ban. I had this one seminary professor who was all like, everything. He was like, minor ban, minor ban, minor ban. I loved it. I was like, you got to use that. So, I should probably use it more often. Um, and although, Repeatedly admonished from the word of God, has refused to repent. Repeatedly. This is not just, uh, we sent them a letter in the mail asking if they were wanted to be removed from the rolls and they didn't respond. You know. Repeatedly. So you're like, you're pleading with these people. And I have heard of this before. I have heard of people pleading with someone to repent and say, no, 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 no. I've heard of this. Following the direction of our Lord in the gospel, according to St. Matthew, I and other members of this congregation have pleaded repeatedly with him to receive Christ's forgiveness, one for him on the cross, but to no avail. Finally, whoever refuses also to hear the church. So, and you can just go through the cycle of this stuff, how Jesus says to do it. And honestly, just how it makes sense to do it, too. Um, go to them in person. Bring another person. Bring more people. Bring some other people. Try again, and again, and again, and again. And then, finally, I gotta tell you guys this thing. Um, by the way, a lot of different... I think... Th- think that our constitution actually says it has to be like something subject to a congregational vote that that exists in like church constitutions everywhere uh i think that's wrong and i would actually ignore that if if this ever happened if this actually if i ever actually have to use this there's no way that this is something that because what would that say if you were to vote on this? 
whatever is at the whim of wherever we are in society right now. And what can I do as a called and ordained servant of the word if it's all up to a vote? Well, that's not how this works. Like, the word of God is the word of God, and it is authoritative, and it does not care, like, how you vote. People vote on bad stuff all the time, you know? What'd you laugh about? Which, which things? Oh, no, 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 no. You can't try to into that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wait, have we been voting on things? I mean, the scriptures make it sound like when you read these instructions that there should be great grief and prayer and angst and having to use this kind of thing for a member of your congregation. Oh, yeah. It's not a punishment. No. Well, and, and look at that, too. The thing is that they, com- they continue to refuse forgiveness. It's not even that they like refuse to amend their ways or anything. They refuse to be forgiven. It's crazy. In order to show the seriousness of his impenitence and as a last effort to win him back to our Lord, I announce that he is now excommunicated from the Holy Christian Church. Now notice, we didn't say from Zion Lutheran Church in Anchorage, Alaska. Like This is a big deal. Now, maybe people can get kicked out of this church for whatever other reasons. I think that's honestly kind of lame. You know? The active member, member in good standing, it's all... I don't want any members of this church that aren't members of the church Catholic, you know? It's like... So, yeah, they are... They're out of the church. There's a... This person is going to hell. They don't, they will not be forgiven. Until he repents, he may not come to this or any other Christian altar for the Lord's Supper. Now, what's the problem with this? They can go across the street. That's the problem now. That person doesn't know. Or that doesn't know. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a way to like keep track of them. They're like, hey, that's actually you're getting yourself in deeper if you just go somewhere else. You can't do that. Um he is also not permitted to serve as a sponsor of holy baptism nor engage in any other rites or privileges of the church except to hear the preaching of God's word. Isn't that interesting? You guys should come to church. Better not go to voters meeting, though. <laughs> Potlucks, you're out. You can come for the preaching. Then you're out. I mean, basically, it's like you don't get to, like, participate in any of this okay come hear the preaching like we really do desire your repentance uh, may almighty god grant him grace to confess his sin 
so that he might receive the Lord's forgiveness and be restored to communion with God in his church. So again, that's the goal. We want them to be restored. Look, I know you're all sinners. You should know that I'm a sinner too. Um, our goal here is not to make you not sinners because that's not going to happen. And that's not what Jesus comes along to do anyways. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, hey, uh, neither do I condemn you. You're forgiven. Go and sin no more. Like, yeah, so, I don't know. We should probably use this more often. There's probably a, a problem that it hasn't been used for so long. In that, I mean, we should probably use all of these things more often rather than just passive-aggressively ignoring people for whatever reason. So, yeah. Any questions? We'll look at some more stuff next week. Uh, the very next page, by the way, in the agenda is restoration to the Holy Christian Church. So we do actually, we planned that you're going to come back. And so we have something to bring you back in. We don't want you to leave and be damned forever. Right? That, that's not our goal. And... Uh, yeah, restoration and forgiveness is actually what the Lord wants for you all the time. So, any questions? You want to get on the excommunication committee? <laughs> you know, it, it is why we have like elders. You know, it's like we do have assigned people, but honestly, like most of the problems that you have should probably not make it to the elders because you just talk to the person in the first place and then like yeah but that is one of the reasons why elders exist we actually have designated people to deal with these things well I would think of our elders Yeah, all we're asking is for people to receive forgiveness. What a meanie. If you think that is mean, you probably don't understand this. What's going on here? What's the point? So, Well, let's pray. Lord, uh, we give thanks for this fellowship, for being made a part of your church through holy baptism. And we give thanks for having been brought here to receive your word and sacraments. We pray for those who have fallen away for whatever reason, that they would be restored, um, be it simply laziness or from open, unrepented sin. Uh, for you, indeed, restore all your, all your children to be uh, restored. Uh, refresh us during this Advent season and keep us ever focused on you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.